0: How's everybody doing this morning? So you know what the next thing is, right? What is the next thing? Everybody staying with me. Get that stretch in there. We're going to ask the Lord to encounter us with his word. How many love it when the Lord encounters your heart with his word and it burns inside of you? And you think about it, and you can't stop thinking about it, and it changes your attitudes and your mindsets, and it changes the way that you live and do life. Who would like to have that this morning? All right, let's invite him to come in. Holy Spirit, we invite you. You are the teacher of the church. Lord Jesus, come and reign supreme over us this morning. Reign over every heart. Our hearts belong to you. We say, come and inhabit us, fill us and overflow us, and let your spirit teach us. I pray that living words would be imparted to every single heart. That no one would escape without your encounter, without your word dwelling and abiding and being planted inside of them. Do it, Lord, we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're on part two. We're talking about covenant community here at Heart of the Father. We're going after covenant community If you haven't been here, we'll just let you know that. And so part one last week was covenant community culture, the three Cs. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, right? But he didn't say, I'm going to build it according to the way that you want it. He said, I'm going to build it according to the way that I want it. And on the night before he was crucified, John 17, he prayed this, this is phenomenal to me. That, that prayer of Jesus in John 17 still blows my mind. What did he pray? He prayed, Father, this is what I'm dying for. I want to create a community, not just so that a bunch of random individuals will have their sins forgiven. That's awesome. But that's not what I'm going for. I want to create a community where their oneness mirrors our oneness, Father. So as you and I are one, and I'm in you, and you're in me, that's what I'm praying for them, that they will be one in us. That's phenomenal vision. Talking about church vision, that's a phenomenal vision, and it takes nothing short of miracles and miraculous. So there's a culture that Jesus is developing in the church, and it's built around relationships of oneness between us. You wouldn't know that there's oneness in our nation after the last little season, right? Anybody read any social media posts? Anybody meet, read any posts from Christians to Christians? Okay, we got a lot of work to do. By this, the world's going to know that you're my disciples because you have a good post on Facebook and a strong opinion. No. Because you have real heaven sent love for one another, and you actually are one. So let me recap the first couple points that we took last time. I'm giving you four points of the culture of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is building in his kingdom and in his people, and so in our body and heart of the Father as well. This is the culture that Jesus is wanting to build. It's a community of oneness. Let me read you a definition of culture. We talked about it Just real briefly in recap, culture is a way of thinking, behaving, or working that exists in a place or an organization. It involves mindsets, assumptions, and values that we hold in common and reinforce over and over and over again in different ways. There's mindsets that we need to build the culture that Jesus is wanting to build, So often our mindsets, especially in Western Christianity, have actually been hostile to what Jesus is trying to do. So Lone Ranger spirituality, hostile. Where the church just becomes an addition to my own personal spiritual walk, hostile to what he wants to do. Because every joint that means you and me, Every joint supplies something of Jesus that we need. And you can't, I'll say it again, for some people it's upsetting, but it's the reality that we need to grasp. You cannot get everything that you need in your spiritual life in your prayer closet. No amens. No amens. If that weren't true, why did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 4, right? Paul's a wise master builder. Would you agree with me that he knew what he was talking about with the church? Why would Paul say that the body is built up as every joint supplies? That means you have to be connected to other joints in oneness. Does it not? Okay, come on. Y'all are being a tough crowd this morning. That's true. Is it not? Okay. So, first point that we covered last week, anybody remember what it was? (laughs) Right? We talked about the love that's inside of the Trinity, and one theologian, Scott McKnight, describes it as a never-ending dance of love, delight, enjoyment, right? the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he invites us into that dance. So here's the reality. The culture of the kingdom, everybody must get involved in the dance. It's not optional to sit around. So a lot of, a lot of you guys are thinking about when you were a teenager, same as me. You go to the high school dance. You don't have a girl to go there, so you just sit on the edge and watch everybody else dance. That's illegal in the kingdom relationships must be formed, and we all have to enter into the dance, right? Second point that we covered, okay? This is all, we're going to get into the thick of it today. Y'all, listen to me. Today is where the rubber's going to meet the road. Y'all might might not like me as much after we're finished with today, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The second point is the purpose of us gathering together is not to come and to get fulfilled ourselves, per se, Our purpose when we gather together is to build, right? Paul talks about building over and over again. So we're building, building, always building. That's what we're doing when we're coming together. What are you going to church for? I'm building. How do we build the body? We build people. This is what was happening up in the front here today. We build people. That's how we build the body. So without an actual connection, This is the fail of the Western church, I'm telling you, is that we gather together to hear somebody speak and to tell us what God said or to teach us something, but we don't actually connect in deep ways to where the supply that's inside of each one can flow to the other. That takes deep relationship. Here's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about how do we build that deep relationship. So those those are two points. I've got two more points today. How many want to know what the points are? Okay, all five of us, will gather together. Um, here's, here's point number three. Jesus does not allow us to ignore the relational elephants in the room. Jesus does not allow us to ignore the relational elephants in the room. Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be text for this point. Ephesians 4. I want to start reading in verse, <clears throat> I'll read verse 15, and then we'll pick up at verse 21 to 25. So Ephesians four fifteen. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Question, if we can't grow up into the fullness of the head without speaking the truth and love to each other, then how are you going to get that only in your prayer closet? I'm a huge advocate of the prayer closet, by the way. Trust me. But that's not all there is of your spiritual life. And if that's all you have, you will be dwarfed spiritually in your life. Got to have community. So verse 15 again, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as, notice the, the repetition of the word truth, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Notice the contrast, truth and deceit. Truth is all important. Verse 23, and you being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. There it is again. And then verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of. One another, why do we need to speak truth to each other? Because that's the way God intended for us to get changed. So, being a people of truth and not ignoring the relational elephants in the room, what do I mean by that? We need to deal truthfully, honestly, transparently, being vulnerable, and having loving confrontation. Most people. This is real. Tell me if you can testify to this fact. Most people that you know and that I know, and when we look in the mirror, this is true of almost all of us, are avoiders. When there is relational tension, what do we do? We do one of a, a number of things we separate ourselves from that, or we play the plastic Hollywood face. Oh, how are you doing, brother? You're looking so good. I just polyester Christianity. But when there's tension or when we don't get along or when there are differences that don't help us to mesh together, how do we deal with those elephants in the room? Our answer is usually to avoid. This is what we were raised with. How many in your home walked on eggshells a lot? It was awkward. And you didn't want to bring anything up Because you knew if you did, there was going to be an eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And nobody wanted that. And so you have these series of cycles of avoidance, 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 avoidance. And then something comes to the head. There's a heated argument. And then, boom, it's just explosion. And then everybody just goes silent again and crawls back in their corner and licks their wounds. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay. Come on, y'all. You're not being honest with me. This is real. Almost every friend that I had, that's the way their home was. That's not okay for the kingdom. So what we do, if we're going to avoid that, we're just going to keep away from each other? No. Avoidance is not acceptable in the kingdom. In fact, it's illegal. You say, well, our family always worked that way. That's all I've ever known. Can I tell you lovingly that we're not going to do things yahweh we're going to do things Yahweh. We don't need to repeat the dysfunction of our lives. This is what we do. We get in a relationship in the church, and it, it creates perpetual shallowness to where we never get. Look, if you're in a body and you're not known, if there's not people who know, don't know your junk, then you're not doing it right. There should be people in your community that know your junk. Come on. Let's try that again over here. There should be people in your community that know your quirkiness. They know your junk. They can tease you about it, and everybody laughs together. Come on. If you don't have that, you're not healthy. You're not in a healthy place. How many knows this? When, when we look at ourselves, we, only, we have a hard time getting outside of our own skin and our own head. But we're all a little bit weird. Did you, have you discovered that? Like, Have you ever had the thoughts go through your head? You know what? I'm actually pretty weird. <laughs> I, I feel this way because I'll be driving down the street and I'll be talking to myself. Like I might have this conversation running for you know, three minutes. Well, when I get home, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take care of that. And oh, man, I can't do that. I got to go do this first. I'm talking to myself, and then I'll wake up and I'll go, dang. If somebody was sitting in the seat, they would think they would be ready to put me in a mental institution. Because I talk to myself like that. And then I realized, you know, my mama talked to herself like that. And my prayer is, God, kill me before I get that way when I'm old so that everybody hears it. Like, please just take me on home. But we're all a little bit weird. We're all a little bit quirky. Come on. Can Can you admit to that? Are you okay with that? We're all different. You know what? The Lord delights in our differences. He doesn't delight in our carnality but he delights in the way that he made us, and we need to be able to rejoice with each other in the uniqueness of each person. What we tend to do is gravitate towards people that affirm us, people that like the same things as us, and people that like us. Apart from that, avoid shield, go up. True or not true? Okay we got to break that cycle. That's not kingdom. That's not healthy. And we can't ever get to the place that we are supposed to get if we keep that kind of cycle going. We have to speak the truth to each other. And so Jesus will not allow us, if we obey him, to let the relational elephants roam around the room and then nobody says anything about them. Like, that, that's just not okay with Jesus. Let me read you a couple of passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, and then a verse out of chapter 18. All of you, I'm sorry, this is verse verse 23 of Matthew 5. So, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, notice that phrase, has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and can we have that on the screen? Never mind. Anybody got their Bible? The next word is leave your offering at the altar and anybody know what the next word is? Go. G-O. Go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So what that tells me is that if our connection with our brother is not right, it breaks our connection to be able to worship rightly with the Lord. Would you agree with that? Okay, Matthew chapter eighteen, verse fifteen says this: "If your brother sins," next word, come on, say it out loud, go. If you remember that your brother has something against you, come on. When I do this, this is your cue. You say go. Okay, just try. Let's try it one time. Go. Okay. If you're if you are at the altar offering your gift and you realize that your brother has something against you, you no. and if you see your brother sin, no. you go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won the argument. What are we trying to win? Our brother, our relationship, it's precious. We're not trying to win the argument. If we're trying to win the argument, we're we're going for the wrong goal. We're trying to win our brother. Come on, we've got to be reconciled. We've got to get along. We've got to get this thing worked out. Can anybody testify that this is hard work? Can anybody testify that this is hard work? Okay, we only think that we're supposed to do this kind of relationship in marriage, right? So I do a lot of premarital counseling, and we try to smooth it out before the the wedding. And then afterwards, there's always those things that that you have to smooth out. And you know why you do it? Because in in a marriage, most believers realize we're actually in a covenant. I stood before God, and I said, I give myself to this woman to cherish her, to lay down my life for her as Christ loves the church. I made a covenant before God. And so you realize, man, that's a serious thing. What do you think that we do every time we take communion? We're re-upping our covenant, not just with Jesus, but with each other as well. We are joined and made alive by the same blood. We have partaken of the same body. We are joined in the same body. Jesus said he's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister because we're all of one father. We are covenant people. This is the deal about covenant community. You have to deal with your junk. This is how we grow up. It's awesome. Well, you know, we have these dreams about how Jesus is going to use us and how all of these things are going to happen through us. And he's like, yeah, but first, first, first thing I want is I'm building a house where each of the stones is being connected together. They're living stones and I'm connecting them together. And there's a supply of life that's flowing in between them. But if we avoid, then we cut off the life. Do you know why there's such anemia in the Western church and the world, spiritually? Because we've cut ourselves off from the supply. I don't mean Jesus, but Jesus has a network that he supplies us with, and it's called the body of Christ. And we think that we're going to be okay. I'm just connected to the head. And he's like, yeah, but you're a finger, and you need to be connected to the hand. Oh, I don't like that stinking hand. Oh, I don't like that hand. Lord, to connect me to something else. Now, you, you know, you're going to look funny if it's on your forehead. It's connected to the hand. So we don't choose, right? The Bible says that he placed us in the body just as it pleased him. So where he places us in there and the people that we're connected with, we don't have an option. Can I tell you, lordship means he says what we do and we say yes, sir. We okay with that? So he knows he wants to fill your life with himself. How does he do that? How does he fill the body with himself? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, every joint, and according to the proper working of each individual part, fingers and hands, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Apart from right relationship with each other, we fail in our mission. Jesus said, Father, I pray that they may be one. Why? He said it twice in John 17. Why? So that the world will know that you sent me. Because there's something so powerful in this culture of individualism and division and hatred. Yes. About a people that are joined together even though they're different. Even though normally you look at them and go, how did they get together? That's what he delights in. There's a powerful unity there. Where there's a love that flows that's supernatural. And it says something to the world who can't post anything but vitriol and toxin on the internet. It says, what in the world is going on there? These people that are so different and so divergent, there's a miracle that's happening. Do you know it was true in the early church? This is true. Where they looked at the Christians and the, the pagans, idolaters. I've read their writings. They said, my God, look at how they love each other. That's so crazy. Look at how they love each other. What in the world? That happened. I haven't heard that in my lifetime. I haven't heard anybody out there saying, oh my goodness, look at how they love each other in the church. Oh no, it's the opposite of that. So now you can go on Facebook and see the vitriol, the anger, the toxin and the poison that's thrown back and forth from Christian to Christian. And Jesus must weep. Why don't we weep? Why don't we weep? Why doesn't that grieve and break our heart knowing that the Son of God on the night that he was getting ready to walk out towards Gethsemane said, Father, my one desire now is that they would be one. Why doesn't it break our heart when we bite and devour and stab and hurt each other? It should break our heart. There's, avoidance is destructive. Reconciliation is hard work, but it's the work of love and it's the work of the kingdom. And God transforms our hearts so that we can reconcile with one another, even though we're weird and even though we're different. We are. You, you guys are weird. I'm just telling you. It's real. It's okay. We love each other beyond our natural affinity for each other. This is the miracle of what Jesus is calling for. And if we go, well, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it my way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I'm going to have somebody teach me and I can get all of the spiritual feeding that I need on the Internet, brother, because there's lots of preachers that are way better than you. Agreed. But you missed the point. You're telling Jesus... Lord, I know how to build up my spiritual life. And He's going, actually, you don't. You, you haven't read my word at all. Like you just ignored what I read, what I wrote in there. Oh no, Lord, I can I can just I can fast and I can get down, and I can get in my prayer closet, and I can No, you you can't do you can do that. That's awesome. That's part of the deal. But, but you can't become the person that you're supposed to be by doing only that stuff. I'm going to go to conferences, though. You don't understand. I'm going to a revival in South America. like this, this, this. Great. That's not how you grow up. That's not how the body's built. Those might be manifestations of it. We want the manifestations of things, but we don't want the process that takes us there, right? Everybody wants to have a loving and wonderful family, a great marriage, a happy home, and all that stuff. Yeah, but don't talk to me about the hard stuff like laying your life down every day. Mm, I don't think so. Don't talk to me about submitting to him. Oh, is that a cuss word now? Sorry. I will say in 38 years of marriage, just just testify. I have never one time and wouldn't say to my wife, you need to submit to me. Because here's what happens. When you actually love your spouse, and I'm certainly not perfect at it, but when you cherish your wife, she'll be happy to submit to you, and you won't ever have to say the S-word. Amen. All right, so, so let me just point this out as we move forward. Matthew chapter 5, if you realize when you're bringing your gift that your brother is offended with you, has some offense with you, I mean, I, I believe there's two levels of things that separate us, okay? One is less serious, but more common, and one is more serious. So Matthew 5, he said, if you realize there that your brother has something against you, I don't think that that's per se him saying there's some great sin that you've done, like you stole his car and, or, you know, or you stole his wife or, you know, something like that. That's not it. There's just some kind of personal offense there. Matthew 18 gets into, if you see your brother sin, or he sins against you, there's this whole idea of the sin is big enough to where if it doesn't get resolved on a private level, you bring it to the church, and if it still doesn't get resolved and there's not repentance, then they're removed from the church. That's a, that's a, that's a big deal. So, so it's not usually that. We have done that one time at Heart of the Father since it started. I uh, asked told somebody they weren't welcome here anymore because they, they didn't repent. Um, that's really hard. But the Bible teaches to do that. But most of our cases, I think, are the Matthew 5 thing where there's, there's some kind of personal offense that needs to get resolved. And so we, we have to hit it on both levels. We have to figure out how are we going to do this. And so what tends to happen is how many have ever been really hurt bad? How many have ever been really hurt bad in the church? Here's what happens when you dance. I told you, you get out there on the dance floor, and especially if you're not good at it, you'll get injured. I told you last year at the Christmas party, I got my Achilles tendon torn by getting kicked there by a good friend. So that's true. You can get damaged on the dance floor. I'm not telling you that it's safe, okay? It's, it's not necessarily totally safe. If you want an atmosphere that's going to be totally safe, where you're never going to get hurt, that's not going to happen until you get to heaven. Right now, you're in an atmosphere with other imperfect people. So I, I, get, I get amused. I'm on a, a little bit of a ramble. Is that okay? So I get amused with this, with people with the church hurt thing, because I've been through, like I've been walking with Jesus for 44 years, long, pretty long time. And um, I've been through several church situations, and I've been involved in some really brutal situations in church uh, with hurt. I've been maligned and um, run into the dirt, and a lot of things that were hurtful. So I get it. But you know what? That would happen if you were in the world, too. It's just because you got people. The difference is supposed to be in the church. That we lean into the Spirit of God and we actually have accountability to repent and to treat each other in the right way and to love each other. But I find that most people, and I, I, because I know a lot of their stories just going through things with them, that when they, they're the first ones at the altar for church hurt, but yet I look at them and I go, and I, I can look at myself too. Like We were all partially at fault. The church hurt that we had, we think, oh, it's just that leader. He was this or that. And a lot of times it was us too. We were involved in the mix of that hurt happening to ourselves. How many have ever known that you have self-inflicted wounds in your life and your relationships? Lots of them. You do and say stupid things, just like I do. And so you get hurt, and then you get rejected because you hurt somebody else because they hurt you, and everybody's got sticks out poking sticks in your wounds and in your eyes and you've got your sticks out and you're poking in them but you forget about all the sticks that you've poked in you just remember the ones they poked in you and so now you're a victim of church hurt and we need to just lay all that down and go God I'm guilty too like you aren't totally innocent this is one thing I've learned after doing many years of marital counseling there's never a time where one single person has no fault at all some of the times I hear in counseling I hear the stories a lot of times, not always, but the wife comes in, and she has this long list of things that she's going to tell me about how, what a scumbag her husband is, <clears throat> and I, I listen to that long list, and then there's always this little caveat that says, and I, I know I'm not perfect, and I, I, I haven't said this yet, but I want to. I want to say sometimes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that because I was starting to wonder. And my first question is, have you looked in the mirror lately? Another, another subject. Okay. You're Matthew 18. Let's read this passage. I just want to remind you of something. Unforgiveness is just a fence that never gets resolved. Okay? Starts with a fence. But I want to show you something. This is why it's critical that we resolve offense. Verse 21 of Matthew 18. I'm going to read through this passage. You're familiar with it, but I want to draw out something uh, to you that maybe you haven't thought about recently. Then Peter, Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Very generous, Peter. Jesus said to him, I do not say up to seven times. But up to 77 times. For this reason. For what reason? Because you're worried about how many times you have to forgive somebody. Because you don't like to release that debt that they owe you. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So Jesus is talking about kingdom culture here. Would you agree with me? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything, liar. And the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. Same words. But he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not also you have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. This is Jesus' interpretation, this last verse. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. See, forgiveness is about offense not resolved and not released. This is about releasing debt. As long as you and I still carry that ripped off feeling in our heart that somebody owes me, we haven't released it. We haven't forgiven. He said, but you don't have to forgive unless they ask you. Beg to differ. The transaction isn't fully complete. That's the ideal. But you can't hold in your heart that debt and be right with God. Okay, if you got the slide, Amaryllis, let's start with this. I'm going I'm to do the math for you, okay? There's math behind unforgiveness that I want you to see on the screen, okay? Unforgiveness, according to Jesus, let's do the math, okay? Next. The debt another owes to us is 100 denarii. A denarius was a day's wage for the average person. So the debt that the other person owes us is a little more than three months' wages, Now that's not chump change, it's something, but how does it compare to what we owe to God? The debt we owe to God is 10,000 talents. This is what you need to see. Jesus told this on purpose because he's representing what it's like in the kingdom. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. This isn't something I made up, this is just fact. You can look it up yourself. So we owe God 10,000 times 6,000 days' wages. If you do the math, that's 60 million days' wages that you owe to God. Divide 60 million by 365 days per year, and we owe God 164,383 years of nonstop labor to pay the debt. One commentator said that's more money than was in the entire economy of Palestine. Well, you say that's hyperbole. Why would Jesus exaggerate so much? He's making a point. The debt that we owe to God was only payable by eternal punishment in the lake of fire. And you're going to go choke a dude for not paying you back your three months' wages. Why was the king angry in this parable? Because that is the ultimate ungratefulness, to not recognize what we were forgiven. Dude, that should make the default of our hearts go, I forgive you right now. I hold nothing against you whatsoever. You're an imbecile if you go, oh, I'll pay that back 164,000 years. No, you It's impossible. That's the point of the parable. Jesus said something that was so outrageously impossible that he was trying to make them get the point. Like the debt that we owed to God, that he ultimately paid the price for himself, Jesus, was so great. We couldn't even approach thinking about paying that debt. And so when we hold unforgiveness in our heart, when we fixate on the wounding, when we go to altar calls over and over again for being wounded and church hurt and all this stuff, and I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to do it, but I see people that do it 25 times and never stop. Every time it's raised, they keep coming. What does that tell me? They never have resolved it. There should be a recognition of the... Look, we need to have a recognition again as the people of God of what happened when He forgave us of our sin. It wasn't just a big debt. It was an astronomical debt that was only justice demanded that we suffer and burn in the lake of fire forever. Do you get that? That would be justice. Come on, all you social justice warriors. This this makes me chuckle sometimes with people that are out there killing and burning things and all that. and They want social justice, but I'm like, do you really want justice? Because justice is that without Jesus Christ, And his forgiveness, you perish forever in the lake of fire. Are you all about justice? I'm all about mercy. let's, Let's have a reawakening and a recognition again of the mercy. Look, this is how we can become merciful people. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We need to have a merciful heart towards people that do us wrong and offend us. And our default needs to be, I forgive you, your dad, I release you. You know what Paul said? We, we get mad when people steal things from us, right? I had a business and I was robbed three times and they stole thousands of dollars worth of my stuff. And that's not uh, some victim thing. It's, it's just reality. It happens in business. But there's something that really makes you feel violated by that when, when somebody does that. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he chides the Corinthians. He goes, you guys are acting the fool, going before court, suing one another in your arguments because you can't resolve it. Don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Like, what in the world? You're living on such an earthly plane. And here's, here's something that he said. That This is the Spirit of God. Why didn't you rather suffer the loss? No, dude, I'm calling Morgan and Morgan right now. Nobody's going to do that to me. And so I'm telling you, our heart about justice is only one-sided. Oh, God, I don't want justice from you. I want mercy. And he's like, well, then you show mercy. James, mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on, I told you there wouldn't be very many amens today. <laughs> That's massive blindness. I want to tell you that unforgiveness reveals a massive blindness in our own heart toward what we've received from God. And Jesus isn't okay with it. Jesus doesn't allow us to ignore the relational elephants in the room. We have to resolve those things. This is speaking the truth. Can I tell you something? If you want to do the body of Christ, you have to learn how to confront in love. And you have to learn how to receive confrontation in love. You do. It's hard. How many have done this much? It's hard, right? We're not saying it's easy, but it is the way that Jesus wants it. He's called us to do this. He commanded us to do this. And so we, we, we dare not go, Lord, there's actually a better way. That there is no better way. If we want, here, here's the thing. We want revival. We want God's power to move. We want the world to be evangelized. We want the world to stand up and take notice and go, Jesus is real, right? We want all of those things. We say those things. But the pathway there is here. Lord, make them one even as we are one so that the world may know. You go, well, I've got a better plan than that. We'll just have all these great speakers. We'll have the conference and we'll have the Holy Ghost moving. And and then they'll all stand up and take notice. How has that been working out so far? How has that been working out so far? Church history, filled with examples. I'm an avid student of church history. Love revival history. Taught it in the school. The reality is, There's always a dark underbelly to to revival culture because people can't get along. And the revivals end because there's no relational strength and equity there. They don't really love each other. They love the move of God, but they don't love each other. And Jesus goes, that's not okay with me. That's not okay with me. You can love the move of God, but not love the people of God. And Jesus gives you this on your test. Come on, I'm telling you the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. That's not okay. I'm all for revival, but I want it to come through the means of the temple of God is being built. The living stones built together were rightly joined together and there's such an overflow of living water that's coming out of that place. It can't help but happen. That's where we're going. All right. So, if that's true, we have to deal with our relational stuff. We can't avoid anymore. Avoidance is not an option. These are things now, if this is the culture that Jesus has made, these things are illegal. Avoidance, number one. Holding grudges, illegal. Walking on eggshells, it's illegal. We can't have relationships where we're walking on eggshells because somebody's afraid that if they say or do the wrong thing, then you're going to blow up and act the fool. That's not okay. Angry outbursts, illegal. Fake love, illegal. What is that? I just love you so much, brother, but as soon as I get home, I'm going to stab you in the back and say what a scumbag you are. I'm going to run you down with my mouth. These things ought not to be so, James said. You shouldn't be able to bless and curse out of the same fountain. not okay and one more thing that's illegal in this scenario and because of what jesus said hypersensitivity is illegal what do you mean too easily offended that does not first corinthians 13 when it's talking about love and by the way 1 corinthians 13 is all about dealing with the church that was divided because they had their favorite revival preachers and they made these little clicks And Paul's trying to teach them, you guys are, you've got spiritual gifts going on, but like you're headed for a shipwreck if you don't get things right. So look, love has got to be the, it's got to be a love sandwich. Love's got to be in the middle of all your prophecy, your tongues, your miracles, all that. If love isn't in the middle of that, you're going to shipwreck. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? Love believes all things. That means it believes the best of you. Your default, when I think of you, my default should be to believe the best of you if you said something. Like, not to believe the worst of you. That's not loving, to believe the best of you. Come on. This is quiet. is pretty quiet. I'm telling you the truth. This is where we have to go. You're telling me, and I hear this all the time, we want God to break out. We want God to have His way. We want God to inhabit in His fullness in our body. And I'm telling you, the road is laid out in the Scripture. And it is the road of actually being healthy and loving each other. Yeah. All right. Doing all right, right? All right, here's the fourth point of kingdom culture and of covenant community culture. We all wear the same clothes every day. Nobody said, what in the world does that mean? We all wear the same clothes every day. That sounds like a cult, brother. Um, here's what I mean. Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at this verse And a couple others, we're we're sort of winding down. You know, I make reference to this because I'm a big believer in the Bible, but um, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1 is exactly in the middle of the book of Philippians, and Paul said, and finally, brethren. So I figure Paul said that when he was halfway through. That was inspired by the Holy Ghost. So I'm just about done. Um, Finally, brothers, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says... Let's read it. We got it up there? These are the clothes that we wear. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Think think about these words now. Put on. Why does he say put on? Because it's like clothes. You have to be intentional about wearing it. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put on that heart. Bearing with one another. Why does he say bearing with one another? Because I irritate you. I irritate you. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, release that debt. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity which is where we're going. And then I want to just uh, read to you 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. You're familiar with this verse. All of you, it says, that would include all of us, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's my question. Would other people, would the people that you know say that these are the clothes that you wear in this community? Would other people that know you in this community, would they say that these are the clothes that you wear? Or are you prickly? Or are you finger-pointing? Or are you fault-finding? Or are you whatever? Would, would they say that this is a good description of the clothes that you wear? Heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Is, is, is that the description of your wardrobe? We have to ask ourselves this question because if it isn't, we need to change our wardrobe. We're in desperate need of humility at this moment. What does humility in a community look like? I want to just make a couple observations. I really am winding down. Number one, when there's humility in a, in a, a community, we honestly can celebrate the successes of each other without feeling jealous or competitive. We can honestly celebrate the successes and be truly happy when God's doing something powerful in somebody's life. We also share in their sorrows and in their griefs and help carry their burdens. This is Romans 12, 16. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I will tell you that, from my observation, this body is really good at this. We, we do a good job, I, I really think we do a good job of, of weeping with those who weep, bearing their burdens, and, and even rejoicing with those who rejoice. We might not do as well with this third part of humility. So part of humility is allowing others to reveal to us our blind spots. I've had this verse rolling around inside of me for weeks now, throughout this whole election cycle, which has been, to me, the the thing that I feel about it more than anything else is grief for the body of Christ. I really do. Not even for our nation. I feel grief for the body of Christ. I feel like we're so stinking blind in so many ways, and and we don't even see what's going on in our midst. I'm saying that generically, so... Take back the sticks like I'm not. I'm telling you what I see is the truth. I believe this is truth. There is so much deception and delusion that's going on right now. And the way that we're acting is a disgrace to Jesus. Allowing others to reveal our blind spots. So this verse, Romans 12, 16 says, this is repeated three times in the Bible. This is a quote out of Proverbs and Paul quotes it twice in Romans. Do not... Be wise in your own eyes. If there was ever a word of the Lord for the body of Christ in America, this is it. It's not get your stuff together and buy your food and hunker down. That, I don't believe it at all. That's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is, what are you doing? You're acting like you're completely unsaved and you have no God. Stop being wise in your own eyes. Eyes. Okay, I'm asking for 100% participation in what we're about to do. I promise you it won't hurt you at all. I want your participation here, though. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them out of your mouth these three things. Number one, my opinion is not always right. Go ahead, tell somebody. Come on, did you say it? My opinion is not always right. Okay. We, we need this. This is medicine for our soul. Okay. Now listen, charismatic people, listen to me. I want you to say this. This is next. This gets progressively harder. Turn to somebody. I want 100% participation. My perception of what God is saying is not always accurate. My perception of what God is saying is not always accurate. Look, this is part of humility. It's part of recognizing I'm not infallible. I believe that I, I believe the Lord speaks to me and that he impresses things on me. <clears throat> Am I always right? No. So I need to put it out there at least with that amount of humility to go, you know what? I might not be right. I don't always perfectly perceive, hello, prophets. Hello, 40 major prophets. Look, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, and the way that they're being treated now is an indictment against the people of God. It's ridiculous. We're desperate for humility in the body of Christ. We're desperate to realize that we're not the end-all, be-all, and that we actually are wrong. So this is the third thing, 100% participation. Look at somebody and tell them, I have been wrong many times. All right. This, this, This is medicine for your soul. Take it. Drink it down. It won't taste good going down, but it will be of benefit to you and it will be healthy for the rest of the body of Christ. Okay, this is humility. We're supposed to what? Clothe ourselves with humility. When people see you coming, do they go, oh, there's Mr. Humility. I know that I'm not afraid to share anything with them because I know that they're going to take it to the Lord in prayer and love me anyway. Come on, people. We, sorry for getting so animated with this, but I, I feel I feel the grief of the Lord over his body. The way that we're responding in this whole election cycle is absolutely asinine. It's asinine. We gotta change. We gotta be the people of God. We're different than the world. We're different than the world. Let's start acting and speaking different than the world, come on, the body of Christ. This is what one theologian calls James's three-step dance, talking about dancing. What is James's three-step dance? But all of you know this, he says, my beloved brethren, James 1.19, let every one of you be slow to click. Slow to send, slow to post, slow to speak. Let every one of you be slow to speak. So that's the first step. There's one slow and then two fast. One slow, come on, you get it. And two fast. One slow and two fast. This is the James three step dance. Okay? Let everyone be slow to speak, quick to Quick to hear, sorry. It's actually one fast and two slow. So I got it backwards. See, that's how good I am at dancing. <laughs> that, that was my problem, I think. that I couldn't get the. So actually, our son Jace is a very good swing dancer, and when he was getting married, they were going to have swing dancing after the dance. And so Diane's like, honey, we really should learn to swing dance so that when we get to the wedding, we, we'll be able to know what we're doing. And uh, I said, okay, let's do it. Let's get some instructional videos. So we had instructional videos, and we had them in our living room there, and we're putting those on and trying to do it, and I would just start laughing, and she says, "Honey, stop laughing. We gotta get." The... Like needless to say, we never did any swing dancing. We we, we watched. So, um, let everyone be quick to hear. This is the quick, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is how we dance in the kingdom. This is how we dance in the kingdom because it shows humility. I'm quick to hear. I'm listening for your heart. I want to know what your heart is. I want to hear you, and then I don't I don't come out and make a quick judgment. Where I'm going to launch out on a tirade in a post. It's just carnality. Like if. Do I believe 2020 was the year of revelation of God? This is, We're going to see clearly, absolutely. This is what we're seeing is ugly. It's ugly. God is showing us how carnal we are and how little we love each other. That's one thing he's showing us. I'm not, I'm not being a hater here, and I'm not trying to throw But that's real. The Lord, if we have any sense, we should recognize the Lord is showing us we don't know how to love each other, and that's not okay with him. So we got to change. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Try this one on for size. Let everything you do be done in love. Everything. Read you a couple other translations and I'm winding down. Let love prevail in your life, words, and actions. Your every action must be dictated by love. How are we doing on the test? How are we doing on the test? So my heart for us is there is a culture that Jesus is building in his body, in heart of the Father as well. We have to take his cultural values and the things that are illegal in his culture, we have to make them illegal. So if humility is our clothing and love and compassion and a tender heart, what things are illegal in that culture? Self-promotion is illegal. Coming together as a body is not about promoting how awesome I am. It's about building you up with what I have to give you. Competition is illegal. We're not competing with each other to see who's the most spiritual. There is a certain segment in the charismatic community that is hyper-spiritual. Everything is like the Lord told them and gave them a vision three, four times a day. And, and, and listen, listen to me. I, I will be a charismatic until the day I go into the box. Okay, I believe it totally and, and love it. But this is real. That That's not true. It's just an image because people want to be embraced as being super spiritual, and that's unhealthy as can be. I would rather hear somebody go, you know what, I haven't, I just haven't felt... God and, um, okay, let's, let's start there. Let's start there. But I say, and I use this phrase, this is my phrase, because I've seen it a lot in counseling, whole deck of God cards. Every one of them's the same. You can throw the God. God told me to go to lunch at, God told me to get that pair of shoes because, God told everything. I'm like, really? Like, Everything in your life, God told you, so throw the God card on it. God told me to leave my husband. hmm, No, come on. I'm telling you the truth. There's areas in the charismatic church that are completely out of line with the will of God and His heart. As much as I love the charismatic church, I will always fight for her, defend her. I love, I love the moving of the Holy Spirit. I believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit and in their abundant overflow, and I think we need a hundred times more than what we've ever seen. But let's, let's get this straight. Charismatics in general do not know how to love each other well, and we are weird and whacked in some ways. And we need to fix that. We need to change that. We really do. So we're going to do prayer circles here, and here's what I want to ask you to do. We're not going to take a whole long time. Thank you for your patience. Um, I want you to ask yourself right now, what does the Holy Spirit want to say to you about your avoidance and about your pride? What does he want to say to you about how you can better build the body of Christ and love your brothers and sisters better? That's what we need to pray for. I believe that.